Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to gain actionable advice, learn about current market trends, and hear war stories from other professional investors out there in the field today. Before we get started, I have two quick housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like the episode, we would very much appreciate a like, subscribe, and share. It is the best way to support the show and keep it running. Second, if you are a new investor looking to get started in real estate or an experienced investor looking to take your investing to the next level, we created an ebook for you that will cover how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance those deals with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. On top of that, I throw in an insane amount of free bonuses that you'll have access to once you buy the ebook. All we charge is our admin cost to keep the show running. So, if you're serious about real estate investing and want to create both active and passive income as an investor, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com and click on the button that says get the ebook to grab yourself a copy today. So with that said, let's dive right in. Today we have a very special guest with us ready to drop some investor knowledge on you. So buckle up, grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride. We are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have TJ Coston with us. Did I say that right, TJ? Coston. Coston. Dang it. Uh, no problem. I always, <laughs> I always forget to ask how to pronounce people's names before I hop on here. But TJ comes to us from Texas. He is a wholesale master. He got started pre-crash. He is an OG real estate investor. Uh, been in there since 2006. So he has a lot of wisdom to share. TJ, thank you very much for hopping on. Uh, dude, Gabe, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, I told you before we hopped on here, we like to start with stories. We like to hear how people got to where they are today. So why don't you take us back to 2006 and uh, start us off on your story? Oh, that's crazy. Well, first of all, you can't do it that way now. So for like how you're going to apply that in your own life, that's uh, going to be a little <laughs> tough. But I was doing loans in California right out of college, okay. trying to make some money. I uh, kind of saw like all the funny business and the residential loan side. We didn't. Yeah, do you were crazy. you're in loans pre pre crash. So yeah, you were like in the thick so of it. Okay, we tried to write. You know, we tried to write solid loans, and I wasn't even in it that long. Maybe six months. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to get out of loans. Want to get into real estate. Real estate. Uh, let's get on Craigslist and let's find some properties to buy. So I good got good on strategy. Craigslist, scoped the entire country, and then landed on 112 units in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, which was actually pretty crazy, but it that was, was listed know, on Craigslist. Wow, listed on Craigslist from the <laughs> from the seller. I actually became pretty good friends with the seller. Um, like eight hundred grand, so it seemed like a wow. no brainer. The after repaired value was close to thirty three at the time, uh, but it was distressed. It was bad. I mean, for eight hundred grand, it's not great. Uh, yeah. So we went out there and capitalized it, fixed it up at the peak before the crash. We had the thing up to about ninety five percent occupied. Uh, capitalizing about 15k a unit, 15 to 16, wow. 17k a unit, um, and then you know, then 2008. The like I like to tell people, the only thing wrong with doing real estate in 2006 is you didn't really know that 2008 was right around the corner, <laughs> except for if you're just looking at the dates. But you didn't know that that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, everyone knew it was going to soften and slow down and change. So anyway, um, first, first, uh, first, what do you call it? Project was a financial kind of disaster. But in terms of the construction, the renovation, the leasing, and the management, it was actually a pretty good success. Um, so that was the first deal. 
I don't even know if I think Craigslist is still around, but I haven't been on it in years. So I don't, I don't <laughs> know how that there. applies right now. <laughs> That's a, you know, I've heard stories like that. People finding these crazy deals on Craigslist. And even when I got started, I, you know, I'd comb through Craigslist and I didn't find any luck, but damn, man, that, that takes the cake. 116 units, you said, found on Craigslist? 112. 112. Yeah, that's yeah, big. Uh, seven acres. It was it was a massive thing. It was uh, it was kind of it was kind of insane. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that you're at the top of the Craigslist stories right there. <laughs> so uh <laughs> so you found that unit, you um you renovated it. Did you sell it pre or post crash? No, unfortunately we got out of it in 2010, I think. Oh okay, somewhere okay. around there. Um, and cool thing about cap rates is everyone knows if you're adding value and adding rent and increasing rent and all this other good stuff, uh, simple math is, you know, if you got a hundred units and you increase rent by a hundred bucks, then you make roughly, you know, 1.1 million bucks or something like that. Um, assuming your fixed expenses stay the same. Problem is if you got to now drop, you know, your rents by a hundred bucks in order to stay occupied because your submarket is a little oversaturated and because 2008 is doing 2008 stuff then you can lose a million bucks in like the same kind of metric. No one talks about the negative math. So we were the unfortunate recipients of, uh, I think about 25% decrease in um, uh, market rent and mm. about a 20% decrease in uh, economic occupancy potential. So that was, that was a bummer. Um, but fortunately lived to kind of fight another day and yep. kept going. That is the, uh, you know, we all, everybody in real estate, um, we go through the hard times, we go through the dips, especially 2008. That is an exceptional dip. Um, but, you know, we can always live to fight another day. And you did that. You are still in real estate, which means you've got you've got the fighting spirit. Um, once you, you know, you sold that 2008 for a little bit of a loss, you took the you took the punch on the chin. Uh, what happened next? Uh, I went back to San Diego and I surfed for like <laughs> reason year. Yeah. Get rid of that stress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, spent a lot of time at the beach. Now, um, kind of rebuilt. It was definitely a shock because at like 24, I thought I was killing it. And then at, like mm -hmm. 27, eight, man, I'm thinking I'm getting kicked in the tail uh, left and right. So yeah. it was, you know, it was definitely a transition. Uh, and it was also a transition into the single family space. So I started doing houses out there because I wanted to make money. Like, well, I just learned all this stuff about real estate. Let's now apply that to houses. Uh, houses and apartments are very different apartments you're doing you know 112 doors that all look the same and base trim looks the same and carpet looks the same uh houses are a little different let's look at the neighborhood let's see what we want to do to repair to match the neighborhood to affect the price point to do this so it was definitely a mindset shift in terms of uh, a single product focus and then probably the next mindset shift after that was when i moved out to dallas and really took that from a kind of one or two transaction at a time kind of deal to okay now we got that pretty good Let's let's build a business and let's actually let's actually ramp up and hire some guys and like turn this into a thing instead of just a hustle. And that was, you know, another another good stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why why did you choose? You know, everybody generally starts out in single family and then they go to multifamily because they want to scale faster. They want those big numbers to come at them quicker. Um, mm -hmm. You went the opposite. Why did you decide to go from multifamily to single family? So. Partially, I was burned out, just burned mm -hmm. out, haven't done it. It's like, you know, I, I understand the upside. I understand there's a good market opportunity, probably 15, you know, 2015, 2016, 17, somewhere in there. Um, this wasn't the right mental space to do it. I liked the mm -hmm. transactional nature of the residential space. I liked the big paychecks. Um, I liked the easy scalability of the business side of it, because that was always what I liked about the actual apartments. I liked mm -hmm. the business yep. side a lot more than the actual product itself. I'm kind of, mm -hmm. I like to say I'm agnostic about the products that we're doing. 
Gotcha. Um, so I enjoyed scaling that part of the business and then be able to take myself away from the actual real estate, real estate side of it more. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the short, kind of the short answer of it, I think. Yep. I yep. would like the liquidity. We like the liquidity. You know, multiple exit strategy on houses is better in a recession. Now, if things were always going up, then, you know, I probably missed out on a lot of gains on the commercial side, but we made a ton of money on the residential side. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Hey, if you if you get good at whatever you choose to focus on, then you're going to make money. That's just how it works. It doesn't matter if it's single family, multifamily, self-storage, industrial. There's mm-hmm. money to be had in every asset. You just got to find what you want. Oh, for sure. Um, so before you know, I want to ask about wholesaling because that is your you know your bread and butter. That's what you're a master at. But before we go there, you know there is a lot of talk about going into a future recession. Well, we are in a recession, but going into something that's much deeper, much that looks similar to you know the 2008 crash. Um, you went through it. You got out the other side. So what advice or what do you see in the market? And then what advice do you have for people to prepare um, as we're going into this dip? Yeah, definitely. So our business is probably 20% wholesale, and then the rest of it is split between rental, wholesale, and flips. So we kind of have a pulse on a lot of the different pieces of the market. Um, short story is, I think what we're going to see is low inventory and lower retail demand for product than mm-hmm. what we're accustomed to. And that's a really weird thing that doesn't generally happen in a marketplace. Uh, but we're going to see low retail inventory for a simple reason. Uh, if I, for example, have a house that's worth half a million bucks and I want to go move to a house that's worth 1.2 million bucks, do I want to quadruple my payment by doing that when I would have doubled it before? I'm not sure. So, or maybe I'm going to keep my house. So now it's going to be one house that's not in the retail market and I'm going to buy this other house over here. So I think there's going to be a lot of that on the retail side. Uh, obviously, affordability definitely hits the retail uh, like demand sector. So even in our business, we're seeing a lot more FHA, first-time home buyers, stepping mm-hmm. into the marketplace where you know they're having to pick a price point that was lower when, than maybe they wanted to, but they were getting overbid and overshot for the past two to three years. We haven't had an FHA probably contract in a couple of years, really. I mean, we've had obviously offers, but we just haven't taken one because we're paying on the butt to deal with. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a lot more of the FHA side. So I think that's what we're going to see. In terms of pricing correction or pricing adjustments, We've already seen, I like to say it's like um, it's like any kind of stock market or any kind of market. We've had a blow off in price where prices just shot up too much yeah. and we're having a cooling effect. We're not having a crash, but we're having places where we, in our market in North Texas, we saw a peak in March and April, 100% of what things were selling for. And we saw it coming about you know December-ish. It's like, hey, they're going to start raising rates. They're going to start having pressure on the market. Let's sell all of our risky flips, all of our you know big things going on. Let's sell that by like March, April. And we got out of everything that was kind of risky by about May. Uh, we got different risky shit now, but we bought it really, really well. So that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but we had this blow off effect. And now we're having a cooling, a cooling down. And it doesn't mean that the blow off price was actually legit. It means that like one or two dudes were willing to pay that much for the product. And we were able to sell it. And the appraisers kind of didn't care because they had like the two or three comps to justify that price. But was that the actual marketplace value for that product? I don't think so. So I think what we're going to see over the next 12 to 18 months is more more cooling and more softening. Uh, I, I, we can't see a 2008 level crash because there's not as much free and stupid money in the marketplace on the <laughs> retail side as there was in 08. There's mm. free and stupid money working into the re- into the investor side now. But that's very uh, early on in the market cycle. I don't think it's going to cycle out for actually quite a while. Now, the crash, okay. maybe seven years from now, you know, come and talk to me in seven years, because that one might be a lot more fun for real estate. That being said, if the world ends, if Russia invades Ukraine and uh, all this other stuff, 
if there's a black swan event, it'll affect real estate, but real estate, I don't think is going to be the catalyst for what's happening in the market. That being said, the market's a red day today and it's been red all it's 20, 20% down this year, but real estate is not 20% down. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I see all the charts on your, uh, on your screen and the reason yeah, this is top of mind, uh, for me right now is we're actually selling two of our, um, uh, RV mobile home parks. Nice. And the rates just keep going up. And so it makes less and less sense for the buyers. Um, you know, I think it went up to what was it? Five, seven, five yesterday for the, um, for the rate. And it's just so. when, where, when is that going to end? And I actually, I told that story, I think it was to my, my mom or dad. I can't remember who I was talking with, but he, it was my dad. And he said that he, when he bought his house, he mm-hmm. had to get an 18% loan. Oh, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> That's what my parents bought. They bought and they did, did a partial loan assumption. Uh, and they had like a 15 to 16% loan way back in the day. They still own that house. It's worth 1.2 now and they bought it for 80. So they're, they're doing all right. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but even if you watch pricing, what happens when rates raise overall historically in the 70s and 80s when we had a lot of inflation, real estate prices still went up, which is kind of weird, right? Yeah. Uh, you would think affordability ought to cause negative pressure on the pricing. And it does to a certain extent. But if we have inflation, the assets that tend to inflate are the assets that are like tangible and and quantifiable. Yep. Yep, I uh, I am always um, bullish on real estate as a whole uh, because it's it's physical and everybody needs it. So uh, I don't For think sure. it can. Uh, it, it is always going to be a solid investment if you run your numbers right. Um, all right, let's move on. You said you like to talk or you like to build businesses. That's your that's what you really enjoy. Um, so let's talk about how you built your wholesale hotel um, flip business and. Uh, I guess we can just start from the beginning. It always starts with finding deals. What is the best way that you guys go about um, marketing and, and finding those deals? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to say every marketing channel works, but every marketing channel has a high probability of failure if you A, do it wrong, and B, too, do too many different things, try to be a master of too many different things. Mm. Oh, so Preach into the choir. here. I've done that myself for sure. And I, I, I spent a ton of money messing it up. Um, <laughs> we are heavy in PPC. Uh, okay. We have been for about five years. So we're probably one of the best in the North Texas market in PPC from mm-hmm. a strictly cost per lead and cost per contract uh, perspective. That being said, we're also pretty good at negotiating the deals too. So your lead source is only as good as your follow-up and your acquisitions team. Um, and that's always in flux because it's very people-oriented, but it's fun. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, that's our main one. We do a lot of referrals. Uh, last year, we did a ton of cold calling, probably spent uh, multiple six figures on cold calling, but paid off. But only had about a four to five time X payoff uh, for a cold calling. So, like, yeah, we didn't really enjoy it that much. Yeah. Um, and so we doubled down on PPC and are really hitting it hard. We're also pretty, uh, we do some networking and we're pretty well known, I guess, in our little sub market. So, we do a lot of events and fun stuff. So, people send us deals. We help mentor and coach a lot of newbie wholesalers and, you know, we'll JV with them. Or we'll uh, we'll buy a deal from them or whatever it is. So I, th- I would say that's actually probably almost twenty percent of our business right now. Uh, PPC is probably about fifty to sixty. Okay. So another twenty percent is still do some light cold calling, still do some very targeted mailers. Uh, but those are the two big profit motive like drivers. Nice, yeah. That PPC, especially for uh, for residential, um, it is it's a it's a very effective tool to to use. It's also a very easy. It is, uh, it's easy to lose money in PPC. Oh, if you don't know what you're doing, you can sink a pretty penny in there for sure. And, we, and we've 
yeah, we try different stuff with PPC all the time. I like to say it, it usually costs us about five grand to try something mm-hmm. and about 20 grand to figure out if it's working. And that's very <laughs> frustrating. Yeah, for sure. I actually, uh, I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but I, um, I just started up a new PPC campaign for my self-storage facilities that we just bought out in Indiana. Nice. Um, and I have debate, been debating with myself whether the images for display ads, um, whether it's better to have text or just to have a flat image with a picture. Uh, what is your opinion on that one? We get such little traffic with the display ads. I don't think I keep too much track of it. We do, oh, uh, we do pictures with text on the pictures, I think. But we get very little traffic on the display ads with our PPC. Hmm. Um, we've had several conversions, but not nothing. I'm not even sure if we got a deal from it, to be honest with you. Oh, wow. So okay. we're, we're hardcore. Search. We shoot for a top three. We don't like being top one because it's too expensive. We like number two to three kind of positioning. And uh, we just kind of kind of roll with it. Adjust the spend, adjust the negative keywords, all that good stuff. Um, I'd have to look and see how well we do with the display because I don't really track it that much. Huh, that's interesting. Um, all right. So moving back back to the original discussion, uh, you do PPC is your main bread and butter for finding the deal. Um, you mentioned that you have different strategies for acquiring the deal. Um, you do wholesales, you you buy rentals, uh, you yeah, flips absolutely. and wholesales. I'm not familiar with wholesale. I mean, I've heard you know I've had it heard in conversation, but I've never actually done a wholesale. What what is a wholesale? So for us, it depends. I, it's uh, I coined the term uh, no rehab flip. So for us anyway, wholesale is always closing on the property and buying the property. Now we have control of it. Uh, and the on the exit strategy side, we've it's less than a full flip. And then what what we like to do is we like to pick where the comps are for the property, what's going on in the subdivision or the sub like the sub sub market, and then repair the property to fit a price point that makes sense. So we, what we found actually was market kind of blow off top that I've been talking about is the actual full-on flips are selling, they're actually driving up the grandma, mom and dad home seller prices, which is kind of weird. I didn't expect it, but that's definitely what's happening. Um, Whereas the flips are kind of like sitting around a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So for the right property and the right market, we like dusting it off. We like taking out the trash. We like like doing a lot of leasebacks. It gives us a competitive edge when we go to negotiate a purchase. The sellers have their money. They can go do whatever they want to with it um eviction laws are fairly favorable in texas so we know we have that as a manageable risk on that side we're not afraid of doing that uh and then we get control of the property clean it up make it ideally we're targeting a conventional home buyer because they're going to be a homeowner that wants to live there that wants to have some sweat equity and we're shooting for less than full arv on the property for price point that way if we're right then we get our number if we're wrong we still get a you know we still get offers so we know where the market actually is uh, and if we're wrong the other direction, we can get bid up a little bit. Um, hmm. And we generally make, we, you know, if, if we're targeting a conventional buyer, we're going to fix the HVAC, we're going to fix the carpet, and in tor- Texas, foundation issues all over the place, we'll hmm. fix the foundation generally. Um, if we're targeting a different type of buyer, if we have busted toilets, busted windows, crappy subfloor, holes in the walls, we're going to target, obviously, a different kind of buyer. It's not going to go conventional. We have to buy it deeper to make it make sense. If we're going to wholetail it, we might even flip that property. It depends. But now we're pricing it at a different level. And that that buyer is going to pay a different spread from full ARV than the conventional buyer. And there's kind of two, two buyer levels in the in the middle. Um, between the flipper buyer and the conventional buyer, we have uh, like investor buyers that want maybe cash flow with some equity, but they want to do some stuff. And they're going to pay a little bit less than conventional. And then we have, we've actually been offering a lot of seller financing where we 
we offer the seller financing with you know 20% down, uh, favorable terms. We hold the note, either collect the cash flow or we sell the note to one of our like like actually rich friends and they just <laughs> warehouse the note. Um, and that's it. given us actually a huge edge in this marketplace because now we're, we're uh, catering to a buyer that's maybe less than conventional, still qualified for the income, but doesn't care about their credit. So they don't have any. And then we're collecting 20% down and still selling for less than full ARV and collecting a nice piece on it. So that's that's kind of the four levels of full tales that we do. Um, it's a little more finesse. There's a lot of ways to mess it up because if you don't have comps, comps override everything. So if you don't have comps for grandma's house that sold for this, that looks like your house, then you're playing a guessing game. But if you have those comps and the numbers work, you you know, you shoot it out there and it works. Hmm. That's uh that is really interesting. And comps it, it, comps are pretty much the reason why I didn't I didn't stay in residential because it it just it scares me. You know, commercial is is so numbers. It's you know, it's NOI, it's uh it's market, you know, market growth. I can pull reports, I can look at the uh. PLs, and that is that's pretty much what you're looking at. But with commercial with uh, residential, it's it is you know a person's taste comes into play, and that's um, that's what is always uh, kind of kind of made me nervous. Um, but I mean, obviously, you know, people like biggest, you. That was my biggest problem transitioning from apartments and commercial into residential was that, that personal touch to it. Now, fortunately, yeah. I'm a really sensitive guy, so I understand their emotions. That's good. Get in tune with them. I'm a sensitive guy, so it it works out. But yeah, it's definitely a huge stretch, and it was a huge stretch for me when I when I did it. Yep. Um, That's uh, also interesting. I just wrote down here. Foundational issues are a common thing in Texas. Is it specific to Texas? God, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't do stuff in a lot of other markets, but yeah, foundations out here are whack. So North Texas has what we call it expansive clay. We also get a lot of rain, but really hot as hot as heck summers. We just had. I don't know, almost two months of no rain and 100 degrees ish. So uh, expansive clay, when it gets wet, it expands because it just saturates and sits there. And what that'll do is it'll raise stuff up. Uh, the summertime, it'll get really, really dry and it'll contract. If you don't water your grass, you'll actually get like little mini cracks and crap in your in your front yard if you're mm. you know if it gets that dry. So that yeah. does obviously over time, it raises and lowers the dirt level around your house. If you do that enough, what it'll do is it'll make the foundation settle down. So we dig under the foundation line, uh, drive boats down to the basically as far as they can go. You just drive them down until they don't go any farther. And then use the ground pressure to raise the house up uh, to level again. And then you put little metal shims in at the top to get it, you know, right there. And then that's it. It's easy. It's wow. big business. But it's <laughs> a little it's a little specific out here. Yeah, you uh, make, uh, you, my make it, you make it sound so easy. Well, I'm not digging holes. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, I uh, I just took a peek at the clock. We have gone through our time, so it is time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Starts with books. I'm a big bookie, so give me two recommendations: one for general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. Uh, let's see. I haven't read a real estate book in probably seven or eight years, so that's going to be tough. I read, Dad, poor Dad. It's always the safe one. Uh, that's the safe one, right? I guess I'll just pick something up here. I read a lot of biographies. I read a lot of history. Oh, nice. Got a degree in history back in the day. My favorite biography is actually by, I think his name's Ian Mortimer. Uh, I read it about six years ago. It's about King Edward III in England. He hmm. was an absolute badass. He's the grandson of the bad king from Braveheart, who actually wasn't that bad a guy, but if you're Scottish, maybe he's not so good. And <laughs> I thought I like looking at history from a lens of, what was important in their time and how did they really do it? 
Other thing I love about biographies is everyone dies in the end, which is really kind of cool because now since they're dead, we can, <laughs> we, can, we can look back and say like, okay, how do they actually affect what happened after them? Um, huh. So that's it. In terms of real estate, shit, dude, I don't know. I honestly haven't read a real estate book in years. Uh, I like this yeah, book. That's fair. $100 million offer by Alex Ramosi. You are the second person, and I actually just bought it myself, the second person to recommend that. So It's, uh, it's a good book. For business, yeah. it's very good. Perfect. And uh, that's funny you say, um, I mean, you, you sounds like you got a degree in history, so you already got that background. But uh, can, I, can I ask how old you are? Are you uh, in your 30s? Uh, 41. I appreciate 41. You're just much. out of your 30s. So I'm, me, I'm and, uh, me and my friends, we have this theory that once, once guys get into their 30s, they just really get interested in history. And it's happened to me. I, you know, I'm 36, so I'm, I'm midway through. But I have just been so interested in like history books. I've been reading World War I, World War II books. Some awesome stuff. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh, but Edward the Third. That sounds uh, pretty interesting. I'll have to pick that one up. All right, moving on. This next question is for your younger self. So if you could go back to the TJ who had zero experience in real estate, let's say he was just getting into insurance back before the crash. Go to him. Look him in the eye. Give him one piece of advice moving forward. Uh, say, yeah, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the that, that would advice. be a good one. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing that can change because what you learn from going through all that crap is who, what forms who you are. And as long as you're happy with who you are, then there's really nothing to change. I would say, uh, you know what I actually would say, though? Don't stress and don't worry about it because it doesn't matter. Yep. And that I is, don't think uh, I'd understand what I was talking about. That is great advice. All right, moving on. This next one is... Oops, I lost my spot again. What do you know? All right. So the United States, it's a big place. A lot of opportunity out there. A lot of square miles. Give me one metro that you are most excited about and investing in today. Dude, Dallas is still awesome. What are you talking about? For long-term growth, North Texas, Dallas is the best place in the country. Probably the best place in the world to invest. That's why I moved here eight years ago. I love it. That being said, it's also full. So if you're thinking about coming out here, it's already full. Stay out. Goodbye. <laughs> no, we. Uh, I love North Texas. There's some other good cash flow markets that we look at and we play in, but we still love just the fundamentals of this market. Um, I don't think it's overvalued. I don't think it's over. I don't think it's too expensive for homeowners. I think it's still got a lot of uh, economic stability, which is very important. Not going to argue with that one at all. We're actually closing on a... Uh... It's not Dallas, but we're closing on the self-storage out in Lubbock right now. Um, nice. I just like all of those uh, those big markets out there. All right. That moves us to the next question. And this is your Superman strength. We are all gifted with strengths that we uniquely give to this world. So what is your Superman strength? Superman strength. Uh, I learned how to walk twice. That was kind of cool. I broke my back years ago and had to go through like rehab and learn how to walk again. That was pretty cool. Wow. Uh, that... Yeah. That's pretty unique. How did you, how do you mind if I ask, how'd you break your back? Uh, I fell while rock climbing, kind of, kind of fun. Landed mm-hmm. right here and like blew the stuff up. So I was in the oh. hospital for a while, had to learn how to walk. And I I don't know how that helps other people, but it definitely changed. For me, it helped change our, my mindset from really focusing on attacking a acute uh, single problem and learning how to overcome a single problem kind of one at a time. And then it helped really with the business growth because then we're really good at identifying what is one problem that's causing us the most operational drag or headache. And then how do we attack that one problem? And then what is that fixed downline that we now don't have to even worry about? Or now what do we have to address this maybe one, one step farther removed from the fundamental problem. So uh, that's what we tell people is focus on what's causing you the most headache, the most drag, the most issues and the rest of the stuff. Yeah. matters, but you don't even know how much it matters until you fix your main anchor. 
Yep. I, uh, I second that one to focus on the one problem that is in front of you that will make the most impact on your business. That is great advice. And that leads us to the next question. None of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So what is one mentor that most affected your career? Who is? Sorry, not what. <laughs> it's hard to pick out a singular one. I think I've had actually, ironically, some really good contractor friends uh, okay. that were probably 20, 25 years older than me that really give advice on dealing with employees and dealing with project management that actually really affected me in a positive way. There's two that I can think of, one in Memphis and actually one in Dallas. They were very good. Uh, real estate mentors, I've never actually had one. So there's there's not one of those. Hey. Um, to go back in time, I would probably say, hey, find someone that you can follow and do better by that. But people management and employee management and subcontractor and project management have been the biggest like drivers uh, to, I think, the success. And I, I have a problem dealing with just subcontractors. So being a general contractor, I'm sure they have so much so much mm. skill when it comes to building teams. Um, that moves us to the next question. This is tools. Tools form the backbone of every business. So what is one tool that you could not live without? Let's be honest. Come on. What, the what phone. Do? Of I hate course. this thing. I absolutely <laughs> hate it, but uh, whatever. I, yeah. I don't think I could do this business without it. Yeah, I don't even a have a laptop. When I travel, I take a phone. I don't even take a laptop. It's a love-hate relationship for sure. Yeah, it really but, is. Uh, but they are super useful. There's no denying that. All right, that leaves us to the very last question. Um, you've given us a lot of good advice. I'm sure people want to reach out, say hi. What is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me, TJ Cozen, on Facebook or Instagram. Not a problem. Uh, website, tjcozen.com. We're kind of building it out, so it's a little infancy right now. And uh, our kind of company portfolio site is reiaf.com. Um, super easy to find all over the internet, like pretty active out there. Perfect. I will put that link in the show notes, reiaf.com. So if you guys want to get in contact with TJ, just go ahead and click the little more in the description. It'll pull down the the, descri- the full description, blah, blah, blah. And in there, you can find TJ's URL. Uh, so TJ, that does wrap it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe at the real estate investing club.com. Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.